0: How many of you, is the first time you saw it? All right, well, it continues. Next week, there'll be one like that, but with a little different spin, and the third week, a little different spin, so stay tuned, and welcome to to December, and the Christmas season is upon us, um, and the name of our series, Who Needs Christmas? Now, be honest with me. How many of you, Christmas is kind of like your favorite time of year? Okay, how many of you, you'd say Mm, if I'm being really, really honest, not necessarily. I have some mixed emotions about Christmas. Yeah, I've discovered that even, even amongst the church crowd, there are some mixed emotions, right? Because you do a little bit of that, you know? You've got, all right, here it comes again. And I don't know about how you feel, but I feel like Christmas has come out of nowhere this year. Does it seem like it's a little bit fast? Okay, just to let you know, it's not fast at all. It's the same time every year, right? But it feels like, wow, where did this come from? And Maybe it's because the weather changed so quickly. I'm not sure what it is this year, but it just feels like, wow, it's too fast. But all of a sudden, you've got to cook, and all of a sudden, you've got to bake, and all of a sudden, you okay, it's the, it's the annual office Christmas party, it's the annual celebration with the family and the in-laws, or I sometimes call them the outlaws, right? And, okay, here we go again, and we got to go buy the tree. we got to go put up the lights. We've got to go and you, know, you have the church thing. Churches always celebrate Christmas, and, and we have to do one more thing. We have to spend a lot of money. So no matter how you how you feel about it, I mean, Christmas is still, it's like the Super Bowl holiday of the year. I mean, if you work in retail, you are just waiting for the month of kind of November, December to come right? I mean, uh, the the federal government has put back to work legislation for Canada Post, right? Because people get upset. They buy their gifts on Amazon or whatever. And when are they going to come? And everybody's going to be upset. It's Christmas. But sometimes there's these mixed emotions, you know? And yeah, I baked the cookies, but they didn't really turn out too, too well. And my husband's really happy and he wants to go caroling, but I just want to throw the thing in the garbage. So who needs Christmas anyway? Maybe the, these characters, the Grinch and Scrooge, maybe, the, maybe there's little truth to those folks, I'm not sure. But there's an awful lot of, you know, tradition and, and pomp and pageantry because Christmas is here. So just to have a little fun with you this morning, can you tell me what your, your kind of tradition is in terms of what you either watch on television, is some television show that you watch annually, or maybe it's a Christmas movie, and every year you will, you will pull that out, or maybe it's a piece of music that you like to listen to, but it's whole, part of your whole Christmas tradition. Can you just shout it out at me and let me know? Nobody has a Christmas tradition? Do you not watch, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Do you not watch The Grinch? It's a Wonderful Life, life. yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Do you not watch, uh, I don't know, Frosty the Snowman? Are there people with children here? Do you not watch uh, Christmas Carol? Wow, well, so you don't consume any media whatsoever. Do you do you listen to any kind of Christmas music? Yeah. Well what do you listen to? What what are your favorite Christmas pieces of Christmas music? Hark the Herald, Hark the Herald Angels sing, yeah, great old hymn. Silent Night, Silent Night. yeah? I'll be, I'll be home for Christmas, yeah. Pardon? <laughs> Handel's Messiah? Yeah. Oh, amazing piece of music, yeah. Any other ones? Do you know what the most popular Christmas song is of all time? Yes, it is. Yeah. It, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. It's the number one all-time single of all time is, is I'll Be Home for Christmas. Yeah, written by a Jewish guy, actually. Just, just a piece of trivia for you. But that's the number one most popular song. And, you know, you go in the stores and you're going to hear it. So we all have our, our traditions and, you know, what we do. I know for me, I love watching on Christmas Eve, very, very late at night, uh, the old, 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 the first one. You know, the, the Charles Dickens story, Christmas, Christmas Carol uh, with um, uh, Alistair Sim, the old black and white one. Oh, I just love the—it's it. it's a masterpiece. I love watching it. The story of how this man his life is completely transformed. I love watching this on Christmas Eve. But it's a tradition. It's you know, and we do it every year. And Christmas, we we tend to think of Christmas it with a with a bit of a little box around it. When it comes to starting to think about the the, the Bible, so we tend to go from from Mary. Uh, to the manger. Do you know what I mean? And we, we, we think about Christmas in, in, in that type of way, and it's, it's, it starts somehow we envision in our minds, you know, according to the, to the New Testament. We've got it in Matthew, and we've got it in Luke, and, and we try and put it together and picture it in our minds. But we, we have the general contours of the story, you know, fairly well. We know bits and pieces of it. And we, we, we replay it in our, in our minds, you know. Uh, but I want to show you um, a, a contemporary telling of the Christmas story. Um, I would not, I can't really endorse this movie fully because it has some, some crude stuff in it and some crude jokes. But I came across this scene. Um, and this is Tyler Perry's Medea Christmas. Have you heard of Tyler Perry? So he has this character uh, that he creates, and her name is Medea, and he, of course, plays her. Don't worry, he's not playing a transvestite. He's just, it's a kind of a satirical uh, depiction of this woman, Medea, Um, and I'd like you to watch how she tells the Christmas story to a group of uh, children in an elementary school. Yeah, you'll see what he does if you if you ever watch the movie with the girl who stole who stole his her purse. He says or she says she says, "Let me tell you about the story of Easter and Jesus crucified between two thieves." And he ends up taking the the girl and actually hanging her on that cross with the Christmas lights. Okay, you, you, again, I can't really endorse it because it's it's got some crude crude humor. But if you can stomach it, you might really find it quite. Quite amusing, but uh, lest we lest we joke most of us uh, we we might not be so bold as to describe the Christmas story you know the way Medea did, uh, but most of us we have these kind of rough contours in our mind, of story of you know Mary and Joseph and the, the manger and the you know the journey to Bethlehem and the census and the star and the and the night that Jesus was born, and we put all these things together, and in our minds, that's the way we think about it. Um, this is our third Christmas together uh, as a church. So, wow, we've done three. And as we as we looked at, or this is the third one last year, you know, some of the pictures in our minds don't even really match the Bible, right? So, we we, we tend to rose color the whole Christmas story, and we tend to to make it a whole lot prettier than it really is in the pages of Matthew and Luke. Um, I'm well aware of the the current criticism uh, of Christmas. It's very in vogue today, uh, and and it goes a bit like this. You know, the story of Jesus and the virgin birth is just kind of a copy of some older religions and mythologies, and they just sort of hijacked that and airlifted that to make Jesus look like the Son of God, and the virgin birth is nothing new. And they do that with Christmas nowadays. They do that with Easter nowadays. And um, it's really not the greatest of of arguments. Um, If you'll go to the slide uh, there, David, um, I'd like to remind you of a a video-based Bible study that that I messaged you about a couple of weeks ago. It, it, there's a great, uh, an easy rebuttal of that argument. It sounds really, really slick to, to to us, and we think, oh boy, you know, is the New Testament just a joke, and is it a copy? And uh, Lee Strobel does a great job on this video-based Bible study. Some of you have downloaded it already. You can you can go uh, there on your on your, your use your internet connection. It's all free. So studygateway.com/obs. It's a four-week video-based Bible study leading right up to Christmas, and he does a terrific job uh, quickly dismantling this this argument. It's not as great as it seems to be. Um, but in any case, Christmas, this is what I want you to, to, to learn today. Christmas doesn't begin with Mary and Joseph. It doesn't begin with a couple uh, wondering how they got pregnant uh, when they didn't do anything. to to get pregnant, if you know what I'm saying, it it doesn't begin with a couple wondering how they got pregnant. It begins with a couple wondering if they ever will get pregnant. So I want to open your your understanding of Christmas and widen your understanding of Christmas. And I want you to, to look at it from the perspective of the people who experienced the first one and the people who led up to the people who experienced the first one. Uh, the, the annual celebration of the birth of Jesus, you're not going to find anywhere in the Bible. You'll find the annual celebration of Easter, which is connected to Passover. But the annual celebration of Jesus and his birth is nowhere in the Bible. This is like a third, fourth century thing. It's a tradition, great tradition that developed, but it's, you won't find it in the pages of the New Testament that every year you know, on December 25th or something that they celebrated the birth of Jesus. They simply didn't do that. Um, you, you, have to, you have to change sometimes the way that you think about it and put yourself back into their shoes. When you do that, it completely enlarges your understanding and your application to your own personal life of Christmas. It begins with a couple wondering if they ever will have kids Over 2,000 years before Jesus was born is when the story of Christmas really starts. And it starts with a couple wondering, uh, now an elderly couple, as you look at the story beginning in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, um, and chapter 12, and you see the beginning. And uh, we often pick on the book of Genesis, especially the first three chapters. I'm not talking about the first three chapters today. I'm talking about from chapter 12 on. And this is really where you want to start. And God says to this man, Abram, he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And listen to this promise. This man has no children. His wife has their... They cannot have kids. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Okay, full, full stop. You're talking uh, about two, 2,100 years before Jesus was even born. You've got people fighting each other for land and, and struggling to survive and settle. Um, and you see a very, very violent history there as a result. Read the, read the Old Testament and you're going to see plenty, plenty of violence. And it's, it's back then in that time, that's the way that they lived. We look at it and we say, wow, that's really offensive. Well, back then, that's what they did. And God is saying to this man, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You have no children, by the way. And I will bless you. And back then, if you had no children, big, big problem, because your line is going to die out. And I will make your name great. It probably didn't feel great at the time. And you will be a blessing. A blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a very bizarre and unusual promise because god is saying things to this man that are completely counter what he's experiencing at that time and completely counter to the culture so back then nobody's blessing anybody people are killing people and they're trying to again settle survive grow and god tells this man in other places in the book of genesis go and look at the stars uh, in the middle eastern night you know where there's no there's no street lights at that time go and look at the stars can you count all those stars that's the amount of children you're going to have go and look at the the sand and the sea that's the amount of children you're going to have and by the way all peoples on earth will be blessed through you it's it's an incredibly bizarre promise made to to Abram his name at the time and then you start looking at the 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 condition that he's in and what happens in the future, so you have in the book of Genesis the birth of the of the Jewish nation. You you begin to see uh, the story of, of Abram and and uh, and Sarai, and eventually they do have a child. Right, his name is starts with an I. Isaac, right? Well, Isaac is the the child of the promise. You know, there's another child and his name is Ishmael. And you can read about all of that, all of that family conflict and everything that went on. And you, you begin to see the birth of a nation and you start to see the patriarchs and Abraham, Isaac, and starts with a J. Jacob, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you start to see the families grow and the clans grow, and they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but you see a lot of problems. I mean, if you want to read about family dysfunction, read the book of Genesis, all right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on and on and on, and you've got infighting, you've got bad parenting, you've got people killing each other, you've got a guy selling his birthright, you've got You've got Abram lying about his, about his wife, saying his wife is his sister. You've got Isaac doing the same thing. It happens multiple times. You've got lies. You've got deception. You've got all kinds of weird <laughs> behaviors. And it's, it's, it's pure dysfunction. It's amazing that God <laughs> uses these people. But you begin to see the, the, them grow. And you begin to see the birth of a, of a nation uh, and you, you, you remember this promise, wow, uh, I will make your name great and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And what do you see when, when uh, Jacob has his sons and one of them is his favorite, his name starts with a J, starts with a J-O, I'm named after him. Yeah, Joseph, right? So remember Joseph and we talked about him on Labor Day and and he's he's favored by by his father and the boys don't like that and they want to kill him and then they conspire to sell him and he ends up in Egypt and you know the, the the whole story happens and you see that you see that Joseph is is able to his leadership expands in, in Egypt. He, he saves the, the nation from a, 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 an enormous famine. And you see that his family, who's not in Egypt at the time, they're starving too. And they end up in Egypt. There's this glorious kind of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. And you see that his, his whole clan comes to live in Egypt. And he saves them from this famine. And they begin to grow and grow and grow in the land of Egypt. And thus ends the book of Genesis. That was about three minutes. Not bad? We're going to do the whole Bible today right up to Matthew. So sit tight. We have coffee and tea. You'll be out of here by 5 o'clock. No, I'm only kidding. So you begin to see in the book of Exodus right away, you've got leadership that comes into Egypt, and they know nothing of Joseph, and they know nothing of everything that happened, and they start to do what? They start to enslave the people, and they enslave them for a long, long time, hundreds of years, and you remember the promise, I will make you into a great nation? Wow, a great nation of slaves, and you will be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth, well, they're slaves to the Egyptians. I don't know if that's a blessing. And you start to see like this promise made to Abram is a bit of a, it's a, bit of a, a joke. I mean, it's a, you talk about an underdog promise. Any of you heard that term? You know, you, you have two sports teams playing or two athletes against each other. And we, we love to root for the underdog, right? That's the person or the team that is not favored at all to win. They were born to lose. They will lose this sporting match. Well, you look at this promise made to this man, and you look at the conditions of these people, and it seems really, really out of reach until until you have a deliverer who comes on the scene and his name starts with M, Moses. And Moses leads the people out of Egypt, right? You have the whole thing with the plagues and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and after that last plague... And Pharaoh says, get out, you know, I'm I'm holding my firstborn in my hand. He's 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 lost his life because of your, your plagues and your God and all this. And he says, get out, and all the people leave and they they end up crossing the Red Sea, right? The water splits and Moses parts the water. Yes, deliverance, deliverance, and God's going to send them to the, the land of promise, the land of Canaan, and oh wow, this is great, this is amazing, and Maybe, maybe God will bless us, and maybe we'll be a blessing to the nations of the world, and they end up in the promised land, and what happens? Book of Joshua, book of Judges, it's not so promising after all, because God had told them, this is your land, you need to take this land, you need to do it this way, and so on, and they're not real successful at it, and they end up adopting the practices of the Canaanites. They end up living kind of like the culture around them instead of living differently according to how God wanted them to live. And they start to and you you start to see all these problems. Then you read a book like the book of Judges, which is a super depressing book, which all it has is this cycle of sin, like a broken record. And the people sin, and God raises up a judge to deliver them. The people sin again, and God raises up a judge to deliver them over and over like a broken record. And you hear this promise getting more and more faint in the background. I will bless you. I will make you into a nation. You'll be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Was well, kind of a joke at this point. And then they say, well, we want a king. Like the people around us, we want to have a king. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And he gives them King S. It's on the screen, Saul. Don't fall asleep. It's you'll see. I'm going to give you the whole thing in ten minutes. So he gives him Saul, and Saul's real slick. He's very magnetic personality. He's you know good looking leader. He's very polished. But you start to see over time he lacks integrity in his leadership. He leads in a carnal fashion. His leadership collapses, and uh, he, he's he's uh, he's paranoid about this other young rising star whose name is D. David, right? And David kills who? G. Goliath, right? And so it, it ends up being that David takes the throne. And David's uh, wow, he's an amazing leader. He's a military leader. He's able to bring in stability. He's able to bring in something that Saul couldn't bring in. Maybe now we're going to be blessed. Maybe now we're going to be a blessing to the nations of the world. Not so fast. David has a big, big compromise in his life, a big lapse in integrity in his life. You know, you've got conspiracy to commit murder, murder, adultery, all these things. And, and God says, well, there's problems are going to come because of this David. Uh, but David ends up having a son, first son out of, um, or second son out of the Bathsheba affair. Uh, and his name is S. Solomon. And what does Solomon do? He ushers in a kind of a golden era in Israel's history, and he builds the first temple. Wow, he's the wisest man who ever lived, we're told, at least at the time. And he builds this this amazing, incredible structure. This replaces the old tabernacle, this portable kind of tent. And we've got the first temple. Yes, maybe now we're going to be blessed. Maybe now we're going to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And what happens to Solomon? Solomon's got a real personal problem with the ladies, It's a big, big problem. So what does he do? He has several hundred wives and several hundred concubines. And, of course, they're all from different religious views and different. uh, And he brings all that stuff into the nation. And God says to him, because of these choices that you've made, because because you have disobeyed me in this area, guess what? Your nation is going to be at war with itself. And there's going to be a division that takes place in the nation. And you see there's a split around 930 B.C. And you have these tribes to the north and these tribes to the south. You have Israel up here. You have Judah down here. Every single king up in Israel is corrupt. Every single one is ungodly. Almost all the kings to the south in Judah are ungodly with a few exceptions. Wow, you're going to be a blessed nation. You're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, Abram. You remember that promise? Of course, Abraham is long gone, but the promise people know. It's a bit of an underdog promise, a bit of a joke at this point. And, uh, you know, after the split in the nation, a couple of hundred years later, we see uh, the Assyrian army come in, and they're a violent, hostile, powerful military force, and they will come and they will take the land of Israel, they will dilute the land, they will bring all of the peoples from the lands that they've conquered and bring them into Israel and effectively kind of dilute it so it no longer has an identity. Um, the, the ethnicity called the Samaritans, which you see in the New Testament, they come from that whole thing in the Assyrian captivity. Wow, it's a dark, dark piece of history. I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the world. You'll be blessed. Wow, it seems to be one bad problem after another. And round about that time in the 8th century BC, you have a prophet by the name of Isaiah. We, we know him from some passages that we often quote. By his stripes we are healed and the the whole thing of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Well, look what he says in Isaiah 49 and verse 6. To add insult to injury. I will also make you a light. This is is right around the time of the Assyrian invasion. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. What? They can't even light up themselves. And they're supposed to be a light to all the peoples of the earth, to the ends of the earth, that the salvation of Yahweh will reach to the ends of the earth. I mean, it seems to add insult to injury to the promise made to Abram so many hundred years before. Well, it, it gets worse. Sorry to depress you at Christmas time. Uh, but 6th century BC, you know, after the Assyrians had taken the north, the Babylonians are going to come, and they're going to lay siege to the south. They're going to lay siege to the great city of Jerusalem where the temple is, and eventually they're going to invade it. They're going to sack and burn the temple and steal all of the stuff from the temple, bring it to Babylon, and they're going to take the cream of the crop, the smartest and the brightest and the best of the people, over to Babylon as their captives, and they're going to brainwash them and turn them into super Babylonians, right? We talked about this the last couple of weeks. We know some of them, Daniel, Azariah, Mishael, Hananiah, right? The, the, The Fab Four, okay, we know them, and they're taken captive, and guess how long the captivity is going to be? We looked at it last week. How many years? It's on the screen. 70 years. Wow, I'll make you a blessing all nations will be blessed through you. I'll bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You will be a light to the Gentiles. Wow, it looks really, really like a, almost like God is wrong. I mean, it seems like a bit of a joke, quite an underdog promise. But then, but then, uh, when, the, when the period of captivity is over, you have a Persian king by the name of Cyrus, and Cyrus feels summoned by, by God to bring the people back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And he, he issues a decree and he says, get all the people back and they end up back in their, in their land. Wow, maybe now the promises of God might start to actually come true. They return under, uh, under Cyrus and they end up rebuilding their temple under a king by the name of Zerubbabel and another guy named Joshua and a priest named Ezra who kind of brings a revival into the land. And wow, maybe, maybe we're going to get back to where we should be and maybe now... Uh, the promises of God will start to become real. And then you see in the book of Nehemiah, they're going to rebuild the walls around their city. And now maybe we'll be blessed and maybe we're in a position to be a blessing to others. And they get reestablished. And then you see some more problems. You see that they, they're, they're, there's things going on. Even though they've rebuilt their temple, they've rebuilt their walls They're kind of hypocritical in the way that they're living. Uh, The priesthood is all corrupt. There's all kinds of problems. And uh, God raises up a prophet, Malachi, and Malachi addresses those issues. And kind of right in the middle of it, you know, he makes statements like this in Malachi 1 and 11. My name will be great among the nations. Wow, I mean, they they can't even get it off the ground themselves. They can't even seem to fix themselves. Right when things start getting good, they just implode. And there's problem after problem after problem. And yet God makes these promises that seem further and further and further away. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like your, your understanding of God and your relationship with God is going this way? He's getting further and further away, not closer. You know, I come to church and all this, and I hear about God being close, and he seems so far away from me, and his promises to me seem to be more and more distant and further and further away. Who needs Christmas anyway, (laughs) right? Have you ever felt like that? Well, can you imagine how these people would have felt? What a dark history and a little bit depressing and yet God is making these promises you say well maybe it's going to get better not really Um, as Daniel had predicted it would come to pass that the Greeks would take control of the known world at that time under a leader by the name of Alexander uh, who we know him as Alexander the Great who is an incredible military man one of the most brilliant military minds in the history of the world and he takes control of the whole thing back then and he, a, he unifies the whole world around the Greek language, culture, practices, arts, sports, I mean everything. He, he, he unifies it as a, as a Greek, he wants to make the whole place Greek. And uh, you see that eventually he is, he is defeated by the, the Ptolemies and the Ptolemic Empire. And then you see, you know, 200, 165 BC, you see the Seleucids rise to power. And you see in Jerusalem, like, it's a horrible, horrible time because you've got a leader by the name of Antiochus IV who called himself God in the flesh. Uh, who did things to the Jewish people back then that I can't even mention. Uh, they, were, they were so depraved, and the thousands and thousands of people that he had tortured and killed. And eventually, there was a revolt, and there was a, a, an army of, of Jewish people under the, the leadership of a guy named Maccabeus. And they managed to take back the temple, and they managed to relight the candelabra in the temple and there wasn't enough oil to keep it lit. And, and the story goes that God miraculously kept the thing lit. That's what the Jews are celebrating now. Tonight's the last night of Hanukkah or the festival of lights. Yes, I do, I do light those little candles um, and, you know, then you think, well, maybe maybe we're back on the scene. Maybe God has redeemed us. Maybe God has rescued us. And maybe now we can be blessed. And maybe now we can be a blessing to the nations. And maybe now the name of, of Yahweh will be a light to the world. And then the Romans come. 63 B.C., I think it is. Pompey comes into Jerusalem riding on his horse. Uh, the story goes that he went into the, to the temple into the so-called Holy of Holies, which he was looking for the, the God vault. Every religion had their place where they kept their little idol, their statue. And he says, well, let me go in there and see what their, see what their God is. You know, and the Romans want to take control, and they go in there, and what does he see? Nothing. He sees an ark, maybe. He sees nothing. There's got no idol. What is this religion? This is nothing. And the Romans come in, and they dominate, 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 And wow, remember that promise to Abram? I will bless you, make you great, turn you into a nation. All nations of the world will be blessed through you. Wow, the promise of Isaiah, you'll be a light to the Gentiles. Wow, the promise of Malachi, my name will be great among the nations. I mean, it seems like lights out. Seems like that's a real, real crazy, foolish thing to believe. And yet we see. First century, Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, who thousands or hundreds of years have passed since him. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angels went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus, which is Greek for Joshua, which is Hebrew for Jehovah saves. Jesus is not just a name. It's a title. Uh, So this is why he was called this. He will be great and will be called, get this, the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Remember him? And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. What? So out of nowhere, you've got this angel Making this statement to this young woman, teenager, who's betrothed to Joseph, and she's going to become pregnant, and that's going to be really, really awkward because they haven't, like, they're not officially living together or they, they haven't consummated their marriage. It's going to be really, like, out of nowhere, it seems, you have this thing start to happen. And this is where we start, typically, the Christmas story. But it really started, you know, 2,100 years ago. This is how Paul writes it to the Galatians. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, referring, of course, to Jesus. When the time had fully come, what, what, am, what are we learning this morning? Uh, the word that Paul uses there for time There's two kinds of words he could have used. He could have used chronos, which is kind of like just standard count the clock. But he uses a word kairos, which means kind of God's appointed time. So at God's kairos time, God sent his son, born of this woman, uh, born under law, Paul says, Uh, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship and be called actual sons and daughters of God, as if we're adopted into some kind of family. When the time had fully come, you see, and what do you have at that time? You have the Romans have put in all these roadways, uh, enabling transportation really, really quickly. Uh, Some of those roadways you can still visit today, I mean, we can't build a bridge that'll last more than 50 years <laughs> unless it's Victoria. Victoria, built in the 1800s, still standing. Uh, but just down the road, you know, you see the the Pont Champlain, uh, which, what, was built in the 60s, 70s? And we already have to replace it. Well, those Romans, they built roads. And let me tell you, you can still walk on those roads today. Uh, Alexander had unified the whole thing and made made the, the common language of the day Greek. This is why the New Testament is written in Greek. You have a, a, what they called a lingua franca, Greek, where a lot of people spoke it. Maybe they couldn't write it, but at least they could speak it. So you have a common language. You've got a road system. You've got transport. You've got commerce. You've got ships all over the place. You have a situation that is ripe for a message to propagate. You have the world wide web of the first century. Uh, just, just just think of it that way. You have an information superhighway 2,000 years ago. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. What is the, what is the time that you're waiting for? Um, has God promised you something? And it seems like it's more and far, farther, farther, farther away. Sometimes what happens is when it's right at the end of your time that's the beginning of God's time. When you're right at the end of your rope and you say, "You know what? This is a joke. This is never going to happen. This is I must have I must have heard wrong. I must have felt wrong. I must have You know, I believed this, whatever it was that I felt God prompting me toward or speaking to me or however you want to term it. And it's further and further, like it's completely, completely dead. That's the time often when it's God's time. And that's exactly how these people felt. And you look at this this statement again in, in Galatians from Paul. and He says it this way. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And watch this. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Huh. And, the, and he quotes from Genesis 12 and verse 3, what we started with this morning. All nations will be blessed through you. Wow. So I, I, just to help you understand what this means, Um, I'd like you to shout out the nation that you were born in, or maybe your immediate family comes from. Go ahead, because there are like 20 different nations in this room. Okay, one at a time. Kenya? Jamaica? Somebody keep count, okay? Can anyone, you want to count somebody? Raise your hand if you want to count the nations. Two? Okay, so we've got Kenya, someone said India. Jamaica, India, Romania, Romania. Korea. Korea, that would be South, <laughs> Nova Scotia, so that's Canada, but I guess a nation to people from Nova Scotia, Guyana, Guyana. Mexico, yeah, one at a time, yeah. Philippines, China, Portugal, yeah. Venezuela, we missing any, Grenada. France, Mauritius, Mauritius? Mauritius. Malaysia, Grenada. Grenada, good grief, do you believe this, what, no. South Korea, yeah, we've got two from, two from Korea there, put your hand up so he can see you, he's in the back, yeah, Canada. Korea, yeah, Canada, yeah. I was not born in Canada. I was born in the U.S. Okay, don't get angry at me. I know that there's a lot of tension with the, you know. So how many is that? Who's been counting? 19. 19. I said there was about 25, so I'm short by six. But we're, we're missing a few people. Next week, yeah. So, okay, all nations will be blessed through you. So the story of the gospel that Jesus came and that Jesus died has spread to almost every, I mean, certainly all the nations that you have mentioned. Uh, There there are still plenty of places that have not heard this message. But wow, you are evidence of the fulfillment of of this promise in this passage. There's only one person in here, so far as I know, who traces his line back to Abram, and that's me. So I'm the oddball here. You all are the fulfillment of this promise. And uh, that's, that's, pretty, that's some pretty powerful stuff uh, because it, it, it tells us that this story has, has gone around the world. Just as Paul said, this is the gospel in advance. Abram, all nations will be blessed through you. So the answer to the question, who needs Christmas? Well, all the nations of the world do. All the nations of the world. And that's part of the reason why we're still here. Because all the nations of the world have not heard this greatest story ever told. They have not heard that, hey, your sins can be forgiven and you can have fellowship and communion and a relationship with God. You can go through life not alone, but holding the hand of the one who will take you through life and even through death and even into eternity itself. And you can be right with your creator. Wow, that's a, that is the message that we need to be telling people. Uh, so two applications for you before you go home. Number one, you, has God promised you something? And is it becoming further and further away? Oh, you are a ripe, ripe candidate. You, you, should, you should not be discouraged as much as you should be hopeful. You are a ripe candidate for God to move in your life when you feel like it's over. Uh, I don't want to embarrass them too, too much, but I see he just walked into the room. Coogan, is Jesse around? Where's Jesse? Oh, okay. Well, to that end, (laughs) she's changing the baby. I remember praying with this couple. I remember being in the hospital with this couple. And, uh, wow, the chances of them having a child were looking pretty bad, pretty bad. I mean, I remember sitting there and praying with them. Remember that? And and praying with them and praying that that would take place. And it seemed like it was, there was no chance. Like, I, I've done a lot of a lot of this kind of thing and, you know, talked to a lot of couples. And what they had been through, in particular, what his wife had been through, seemed like, well, you can pray the prayer, but... I don't think anything's going to happen. And you know how quickly <laughs> it, all, it all happened. I mean, it's pretty amazing. You should go and look at that baby. I mean, he's a, he's a whole boatload of work, even though he's so small. But it's, it's an incredible story that illustrates when, when it seems like it's over, when it seems like the ultimate underdog thing. That, my friends, is when God, when you're at the end of your rope, it's only the beginning of God's. I mean, his rope doesn't even have a beginning. Uh, Number two, what are we doing about the nations of the world? What are we doing about the nations of the world who are at our doorstep? Who are your neighbors, your friends, your family, your co-workers, your schoolmates? I get concerned if I, if I'm being really honest, when I look at the sort of state of the of the North American church and the malaise and the sort of lack of zeal that we seem to be fighting all the time to develop um, a burden. We used to use that word, you know, a burden for people who don't know. Christ who don't don't know this whole thing and don't know the story that we repeat and repeat and repeat over and over and over again. And sometimes we have a kind of a malaise and we don't really think about, well, how can I share my faith with my friend? How can I share my faith with my coworker, with my immediate family, with my neighbor? Sometimes we're just sort of aloof to that. Well, that's not what we see in the scripture. These people had a burden and a passion to tell people about the Savior, about this incredible story of Christmas. So I I pray that we have that kind of thing and we have that kind of burden today. Somebody had enough of a burden to tell you. In most cases, you didn't just stumble upon the story. Somebody somewhere down the road was used to help you understand it and and to communicate it to you. Who are you telling it to uh, this Christmas? Maybe that's your challenge Instead of giving material gifts per se, maybe you need to give the gift of, hey, this is, this is how I became a Christian and you know, maybe that's interesting to you too. Maybe you may need that too. That, that's a great gift to give someone at Christmas, the gospel story.